Well, don't you think that Franz, our guest soloist, did such a good job? We should thank him again for being here today. And he's going to be joining Choral Union during the offertory anthem today. So, Franz, thank you so much. Everybody, welcome to worship. So good to see you. My name is Mike Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome all of you this morning. For those of you who are worshiping with us online, great to see you today. Please let us know that you've been worshiping, and we appreciate your presence so much. For all of you here in the sanctuary, thank you for being here. Thank you for looking for the attendance pads near you, letting us know you've been here, sharing those pads with others. We really thank you for that. I want to read something real quickly that Lisa Helm, our Director of Welcoming Ministries, uh, put together for something coming up next Sunday. It's called Healthy Plate Discipleship Breakfast. And listen to this. At First Church, we are laser-focused on helping people experience the life-changing grace of Jesus Christ. A vital step in that journey is learning the concept of healthy plate discipleship, a balanced approach to living every day as a follower of Jesus. We invite anyone who wants to learn more about this practical approach to Christian living to join us next Sunday March 20th at 9.30 for the Healthy Plate Discipleship Breakfast. It's the perfect place to enjoy breakfast, to get to know others, as well as to learn more about this meaningful plan designed to help you grow in discipleship. So that's the invitation that's really for all of you. And it does, we do ask for registration. So if you go to our website and look for the Lent 2022 uh, page, you'll be able to find information on that. You also can email Lisa directly at lhelm at myfumc.org. Uh, and we look forward to you being a part of that next week. We have a save the date. It's three weeks from today. It's on Sunday, April 3rd. It's going to be our consecration for the Edward and Maxine Baker Children's Wing. And this is going to be exciting. That morning, and during the 9.30 worship service, it's going to be outside. And a part of that is going to be the consecration. And then there's going to be the first look of this beautiful building that we've been watching uh, come up around us. And then, don't forget, we have the beignet bus. Gotta have that. So, on April 3rd, we invite you to be here for that very important occasion. Easter is coming more quickly than we can imagine, and we always give thanks for those of you who purchase Easter lilies in honor or in memory of someone. If you go to that Lent 2022 uh, webpage on our website, you'll be able to go ahead and purchase an Easter lily. The cost is $20, and you can do it through April 10th. And we thank you in advance for, uh, for the ways that you help this sanctuary to be beautiful for Easter. Now, before Easter, we have Holy Week. And just a few reminders of what we're looking forward to. Palm Sunday is going to be on April 10th. Monday, Thursday is going to be on April 14th. We will have a 7 o'clock worship service here in the sanctuary. And before that, Mr. Mark and the children's team will lead a meal at 5.30 and then a worship experience for children and their families at 6.15. The same schedule takes place on Good Friday. Worship service here at 7 o'clock, meal at 5.30, and then worship experience at 6.15 for children and their families. And then that gets us to Easter, Easter, April 17th this year. Three worship services, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. And we already look forward to being together for that very important time. Well, now, friends, let's take a deep breath and prepare our hearts and minds for worship through Peggy's Prelude. 
Friends, I invite you to stand now as you are able. In just a moment, we're going to participate in our call to worship. You'll see the words on the screens. And after that, we'll remain standing for hymn number 577, God of Grace and God of Glory. Today is a day to sing praise to God. God blesses us each and every day. Even in the midst of cold and darkness, the warmth of God's love is real. God is here for us. Let our hearts rejoice and our voices shout praise to God. For God is great and worthy to be praised. Amen. As we remain standing as a community of faith, I invite you now to join with one another in this affirmation of our faith. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. 
Well, good morning, friends, friends here in the sanctuary, friends watching us online. My name is Mark Burroughs, the children's minister here at First United Methodist Church. And being the children's minister means I sometimes get to try new things without getting in trouble. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to create a soundscape. And as you came in, a number of you got bells. Now, here's how it's going to work. These are the very important instructions. Your bell has a number. And so during the reading of this very short story, I will hold up a number, and if I hold up the number one, you'll start ringing your bells. Now, the things we don't want are to continually ring it like that, like at the dinner bell, right? And we don't want it to be rung like a constant steady beat, but almost a little bit spontaneous, kind of like the sound of wind chimes. And then what'll happen is you'll continue to ring that bell. And as I'm narrating, maybe the ringing gets a little bit softer. And then those of you with the number two on your bell will see me hold up the number two and you join. So then we'll have those with one and two both ringing their bells kind of just intermittently. Then I'll hold up a three, which means three joins one and two and so on. Get it? Does that make sense so far? Good. All right. I might do this, which means to get a little bit louder. I might do this, which means to get a little bit softer. I might do this, which means to really twinkle those bells and get them ringing, and then we'll fade. That is all the instruction. Here we go. God made a promise to Abram. Abram, you are very special to me. I will take care of you and make sure you have lots of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But Abram had his doubts and asked God many times, are you sure I don't have any children yet? God thought Abram needed something to help him understand. So God took Abram outside and showed him the night sky. Mm -hmm. Your family will include as many people as there are stars in the sky, God told Abram. Abram stared up at all those stars. He couldn't begin to count all those twinkling lights. Stars and stars, and stars. Abram looked up at those stars and had faith because he saw God at work. Abram believed God would keep this very special promise. And God did. God always does. Amen. Now, for those bells, if you will simply leave them in the pew, I'll come pick them up after the service. You have to promise not to ring them during the sermon. So keep them away from children and husbands as you need to. And I don't know if I'm going to have any special friends coming upstairs, but I will, if you are, I will meet you right at that door.
I want you to remember that uh, feeling of Mark leading us through uh, that story of Abram with all the twinkling sounds and the beauty of that. Uh, this is the longer version of that. Uh, this is from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible. Uh, our Bibles here in the sanctuary are the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, very similar, some differences. Uh, this is the extended story with a number of twists and turns in the story. And I don't know if I should thank you, Dr. B, or just say, please. But here we go. After these events, the Lord's word came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your protector. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you possibly give me since I still have no children? The head of my household is Eleazar, a man from Damascus. He continued, since you haven't given me any children, the head of my household will be my heir. The Lord's word came immediately to him. This man will not be your heir. Your heir will definitely be your very own biological child. Then he brought Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if you think you can count them. He continued, this is how many children you will have. Abram trusted the Lord and the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. He said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham said, Lord God, how do I know that I will actually possess it? He said, bring me a three-year-old female calf, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. He took all of these animals split them in half, and laid the halves facing each other, but he didn't split the birds. When vultures swooped down on the carcasses, Abram waved them off. After the sun set, Abram slept deeply. A terrifying and deep darkness settled over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Have no doubt that your descendants will live as immigrants in a land that isn't their own, where they will be oppressed slaves for 400 years. But after I punish the nation they serve, they will leave it with great wealth. As for you, you will join your ancestors in peace and be buried after a good long life. The fourth generation will return here since the Amorites' wrongdoing won't have reached its peak until then. After the sun had set and darkness had deepened, a smoking vessel with a fiery flame passed between the split-open animals. That day the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham. To your descendants I give this land, from Egypt's river to the great Euphrates, together with the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gingajites, the Jebusites, and all the people of communities like Waxahachie and Mahaya and other <laughs> unpronounceable places. Thank you, Dr. B. God speaks to us through the reading of Scripture. Thanks be to God. But we're not going to thank God for Mike's commentary. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of ites there. That's a strange passage of Scripture, and uh, while I heard your thanks, uh, it's actually the lectionary reading 
for today. We are following the lectionary uh, during the season of Lent, and uh, this is that really strange passage in parts from uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, the whole part about the animals cut in half and all of that. You know that uh, in, uh, in the Hebrew scriptures when it says that God made a covenant, actually the Hebrew word is cut a covenant. And, uh, and that's actually translated that way in the common English Bible that we heard a moment ago. God cut a covenant uh, with the people. And it's because of this really strange, at least for us, tradition of uh, this animal sacrifice and walking between the halves of the animals. But we're not going to focus on that today. Um, instead, we're going to be talking about doubt and faith and moving from doubt to faith. Um, turning stumbling blocks into stepping stones. That's our theme for this season of Lent. And, uh, and so we have symbols of that. We have the colors, the color wash back here. We have the colors of a kind of light blue or teal color that moves over into purple. These are traditional colors uh, for doubt and, and faith. And um, I want to remind you that if you haven't received a little container, uh, those containers are up here and you can take one of these beads from each of the sides here uh, that represent that transition from doubt to faith. Doubt to faith. Stumbling blocks to stepping stones. That's what our story uh, is about. It is a story that's a long one in the book of Genesis. We first meet Abram at the end of the 11th chapter of Genesis. Uh, simply identified in a long uh, genealogy there. Mike, I could have given you the genealogy to read. <laughs> Where Abram is just uh, identified as the son of Terah. And then the story of Abram and Sarai, his wife, begins in the 12th chapter of Genesis, and it runs for almost 14 chapters. This long story. Someone has said that people in the Bible are always on the move, always moving, always journeying from one place to the other. And you know, that's true of us as well. And the story of Abram and Sarai is a story of journeying. They, God calls them. Uh, Abram's 75 years old, Sarai's 65 years old. God calls them to leave their home and to travel to this new land that God is promising them. And over and over again, God makes the promise that they will have a multitude of descendants and those descendants will inherit the land. And we see that time and time again in the story. But it's not until many years later that that promise is finally fulfilled with the birth of the son Isaac. And along the way, there is this struggle of doubt and faith, doubt and faith. And we see it in our text for today where Abram says to God, essentially, you know, you promised this. Where is the child that you promised us? How is this going to happen? And it all seems really impossible. I mean, after all, when the final time of that promise comes, Ab Abram, now called Abraham, he gets a new name, and Sarai, now called Sarah, she gets a new name. And remember, new names in Scripture are always important. They signify something. The name Abram means exalted ancestor. The name Abraham means ancestor of multitudes. And the name Sarai it means princess, but it, the, the name, it's a little bit hard to translate, but it means sort of my princess. It's very intimate, sort of local, but the name Sarah means princess in the sense of princess of many. So they get these new names that uh, speak of the fulfillment of the promise. But finally, when Abraham is 99 and she's 89, the word comes to them that she will conceive and bear a son. You know what their response is. It literally says, Abraham fell on his face laughing. 
And Sarah, when she overheard the conversation about this, she laughed to herself. And so God says, all right, you're going to name this son Isaac, which means he laughs. They struggled with the whole idea. How could this possibly be? And it is this journey, not of only from one place to the other, but this journey that involves doubt and faith. And do you know that this couple is held up in the New Testament uh, as examples of faith and faithfulness? We have in that uh, chapter Hebrews 11, it's sometimes called the Hall of Faith, where all these people of faith from the Hebrew Scriptures are listed. And Abraham and Sarah are there held up as examples of faith. But they had their doubts. And what I want you to hear today is that doubt is part of the journey of faith. Doubt is part of the journey of faith. And every person of faith has doubts. Everyone. Think about John Wesley. John Wesley often, well, several times throughout his life would write such things in his journal or in his private diary as, I am not a Christian. Why would he say that? Because at that moment in his life, he had such doubts. He had such struggles with his faith. So many stumbling blocks that he would write, I'm not a Christian. Mother Teresa, you've probably read over the last couple of decades uh, as it became public that Mother Teresa suffered from tremendous doubts. Now St. Teresa, by the way, suffered from, uh, from, from doubts over and over again. And you can imagine with what she saw, the poverty she saw, the suffering that she saw, that she would have such doubts. But she remained a person of faith. And those stumbling blocks became stepping stones for her. The Apostle Paul often liked to use the image of athletics and especially the image of a runner. And I think about, um, I'm not a runner, by the way, unless something's chasing me. <laughs> but, but I think about um, runners, how they describe uh, in, in running, they hit a wall. They come to a place, and they describe it that way as a wall. This place that that seems insurmountable. They just can't go on. Uh, and yet they go on and they move through that wall. And so when we think about Paul's image of the Christian life or the Christian faith, not so much as a walk, he would say, but as a run, running with perseverance, um, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, Paul would say. There comes those times when we hit a wall, but the key is to continue to move through that, to turn the stumbling blocks by God's help into stepping stones, to move from doubt to a deeper and stronger faith. But it's just part of that, that journey. C.S. Lewis is another example. C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian writers of the middle of the last century, C.S. Lewis, uh, writing about the, uh, af after the death of his wife, Joy, that so devastated him. He said, meanwhile, where is God? You come to him and you bang on the door and all you get is a door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting inside and double bolting and then silence. There are no lights in the windows. Is anybody even home? Was anybody ever there? Now that's C.S. Lewis, a person of deep faith who gave a great witness to the faith. But he had his doubts because it's part of the journey of faith. I love what... Uh, um, Frederick Beekner wrote about it. It's my favorite quote about doubt and faith. He said, uh, doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. <laughs> it keeps us awake and keeps us moving. I like that. Doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps us awake. It keeps us moving. 
And doubt has that role to play in our lives. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, uh, Paul Tillich, said that um, uh, doubt is not, uh, or faith is not the opposite of, uh, doubt is not the opposite of faith. But doubt is part of faith, he said. See, Tillich defined faith as the state of being ultimately concerned. Whatever your ultimate concern is, that's what you have faith in. And if our ultimate concern is God, and if doubt comes into our mind, then we're concerned about that. It spurs us on. The ants and the pants of faith because we want to address that concern. The opposite of faith, he said, is apathy, is unconcern, is not caring. But doubt's not a destination. Doubt is just a way station along the way. It's a place for rest and not residence, as Immanuel Kant said. It's just a stopping place for a while or a place that we move through or a dark valley that we experience, but we're on the move. And those stumbling blocks of doubt become stepping stones for our faith. One writer uh, said that uh, faith is, uh, or, or doubt, is, is like an elevator. Um, it can take us down to deeper levels of truth or take us up to greater awareness and greater vision. I like that image. But it, it serves a function in the development of our lives of faith. So what do we do with this? When we're in a period of doubt, how do we turn that into stepping stones? Well, in essence, we keep moving. We keep acting. We keep serving and loving and giving and praying and worshiping and studying and all those aspects of discipleship because through that we grow. John Wesley recounts how he learned this himself, the one who experienced these severe doubts, shared these finally with uh, Peter Buller. Buller listened as he talked about his doubts and as John Wesley said, maybe I should give up preaching. And his answer was, no, preach faith until you have it. And then when you have it, preach faith. And those same words can apply to you and to me. Serve God until the faith comes and then when the faith comes, serve God. Give until you have faith. And then when you have faith, give faithfully. Study until you have faith. And then when you have faith, study. <laughs> you can fill in the blanks. But you see, there is this movement where those stumbling blocks of doubt become stepping stones of faith. Sometimes we want to short-circuit that. We don't, we're not, doubt is not a comfortable thing for us. Uh, and so we want to avoid that. We want to short-circuit that. We want to just move through it quickly. Soren Kierkegaard said that we're like, uh, we're like children, school children, who want to flip to the back of the math book to get the answers instead of working through the problems. That's a good image, isn't it? I just want to get there. But the thing is, it is a journey, and, and the struggle of doubt makes us stronger. It's like a cicada emerging from its shell on the side of a tree. I remember years ago, we were camping in the little pop-up camper. A cicada had attached itself to the screen, and my family will never let me forget that I filmed that thing on a on a VHS recorder, you know, it's kind of like this, uh, for like 45 minutes, there is this cicada emerging from its shell. You sort of have to fast forward to get to the, 
But, but uh, it was fascinating to watch the struggle. I mean, it was just this titanic struggle as the thing came out of its shell and spread its wings out and the fluid is pumped out into the wings because of the struggle and finally then it can fly but it could never fly without the struggle and I've often thought of that as kind of a parable for our lives of faith that we have these times of struggling with doubts and with questions and the church always needs to be a safe place for that to happen so that we can turn stumbling blocks of doubt into stepping stones that further our journey of faith. And the good news of our faith is that's the way doubt can work. And it's by God's grace that we can walk on those stepping stones. It's why now we consider Abraham and Sarah to be examples of faith. But they had their doubts. You know, in the New Testament, there is that disciple, and I'll close with this, but I want to remind you of the disciple Thomas. Thomas the twin, he's called in Scripture, and he's never called Doubting Thomas, but he's been stuck with that terrible nickname. He's no different than the other disciples. None of them believed until they had some experience of the risen Christ. He's no different than the others, but he gets this, he gets this terrible nickname because he expressed his doubts. And, um, but he's Thomas the twin. But nowhere in Scripture do we ever hear anything about the other twin. So who's the twin to Thomas? I, I want to say that it's you and me and every other person of faith. Thomas is our twin. <laughs> He's our twin in that Thomas had his doubts and we have ours. And Thomas came out with a stronger faith and so can we. As by God's grace, God helps us turn those stumbling blocks into stepping stones. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving God, we are grateful that there is a role for doubt in our lives of faith because we have our doubts from time to time. Oh God, by your grace, help us never to stop at the stumbling blocks, but to turn them into stepping stones as we move forward in the life to which you have called us. We pray it in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. When I call, answer me. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Come and listen to me. Help us, O Lord, in the midst of our doubts. Guide us as we seek to walk the path of our true life. Heal us as we recover from our wounds and strengthen us as we face our deepest fears. O Lord, hear my prayer. O Lord, hear my prayer. When I call, answer me. O Lord, hear my prayer. O Lord, hear my prayer. Come and listen to me. Just as Abram let his questions get in the way of God's promise, so we let doubt corrupt our faith 
We come to you in prayer, asking for your help in discerning how we could follow your voice. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. When I call, answer me. We seek your light, O Lord, to guide us out of darkness. Help us return to your path and walk in your steps. Let us recognize the pride in us and bring us to life in the grace of your kingdom. O Lord, hear my prayer. O Lord, hear my prayer. When I call, answer me. Deliver us, O Lord, from the weight of doubts. Bring us to you, grace-filled and redeemed. With you, O Lord, is life in all its fullness, and in your truth we be brought to the new covenant. I'd like to ask our ushers to begin to come forward for the presentation of our tithes and offerings. Uh, from a practical point of view, uh, what you do makes such a difference. Your gifts that you give here in the sanctuary, uh, those of you who give online, so many of us now do give online or in different bank drafts, and I hope you know that there's a little it's a little card near you that says, I give online. And if you'd like to take that and put it in the plate this morning, if that addresses your situation, please feel free to do that. Because really, we are all in this together, and it makes such a difference. And this offertory anthem that you're going to enjoy in just a moment is the perfect analogy of this, because it begins with one voice. It begins with Franz's voice. And then there's one section of the choir, and then another section of the choir, and then eventually the entire choir singing over and over again, I believe. That's what our story of stewardship is. One of us offering with others, and then all together we can express our beliefs and our faith. Let us pray. Oh God, we are your children. You give us so much. You bless us in so many ways. And so now, with sincere and open hearts, we offer a portion of our gifts back to you so that all of your children around the world may be blessed. And we offer all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you are a guest with us, um, or you've been perhaps visiting for a while, would like to learn more about the church, there is a place called On Ramp that's out in the garden, and you can learn more about the, about the church there, the programs, ministries, discipleship opportunities of the church there. Over here is Congregational Care Ministry. Jeannie will pray with you if you'd like someone to pray with you to uh, join her over there, and she will be happy to, uh, to pray with you uh, after the after the worship service. Also, let me remind you, if you have not received uh, one of these containers, you can do that and begin to collect these gems uh, to remind you, put it at a prominent place in your office or your home to remind you of how stumbling blocks are turned into stepping stones by God's grace. Our gathering will soon be ended. Where will we go and what will we do? May grace, peace, hope, love, and joy forever accompany you. Amen.